I had a bit of graffiti about me in the common room at college, and it was sign here if you think Tom looks like Postman Pat. <laughs> and there were quite a few signatures underneath it. I was. I, I remember that. Yeah, I don't know whether I should have been insulted or flattered. I don't know. Is, is Postman Pat handsome and charismatic? Yeah, by the standards of stop motion animation characters. He's probably, you know, if Wallace of Wallace and Gromit fame is a six, Postman Pat's probably a seven and a half, eight. What's Fireman Sam? I love a man in uniform, Tom. Why is it, Sam, that when I said Fireman Sam and we were talking about how good looking, I just imagined Fireman Sam as a stripper (laughs) taking off his Fireman Sam jacket. Showing his pole. Showing his pole, swinging his helmet around. Hi, Tom. Good evening. Good morning. Good evening. How are you? Good morning, good evening, good morning. I am fucking fabulous. How are you doing? Let's Excellent. get the swearing out of the way to begin with. I'm good. The slurring, sorry. The the swearing. The swearing. Sorry, I thought you said the slurring. I was about to say, I haven't been drinking this week, Sam. I'm, I'm drinking water. <laughs> there is no slurring. And it's uh, it's ten past eight for me in the morning, so I'm on it. You're straight away. Yep. Hair of the dog. Pre-work livener. I've just had a curry. Really nice curry. Ooh. Um, it's, oh, oh, so I'm smelly, Sam, but luckily you're <laughs> m- hundreds and thousands of miles away. And yet I've still got a whiff. <laughs> Good. Good. Right. What's the topic for this week? The topic for this week, Tom, is historical stupidity. Excellent. Excellent. Have you got a good example? Did you have success in your research? Oh, my God. History is written by very intelligent people. History is performed by absolute fucking morons. <laughs> there have been some real examples of what the fuck were you thinking over the uh, ten or so millennia of written human existence. Let's be honest though, Sam, you've just got to drive to work in the morning to realise that there are quite a lot of stupid people around. And you, you multiply that by tens of thousands of years, yeah, there's going to be some good examples, isn't there? There absolutely are. I mean, I work from home. And uh, so I don't drive to work. And yet, being at home alone all day, I still experience monumental stupidity on a semi-regular basis. Absolutely. So I can only imagine what multiplying that by the 7 billion other people in the world uh, would achieve. It's almost a bit of a passion of mine, observing other people's stupidity. (laughs) Have you heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect, Sam? I have, yeah. This is the one where the less you know about something, the more of an expert you believe you are. Absolutely. I I absolutely love this. Yeah, that's right. And actually, at the other end of the spectrum, the more intelligent you are, the more you question your knowledge and the more you assume other people are intelligent. (laughs) Well, fortunately, I think of myself as an absolute fuckwit. And uh, so therefore, I should probably be writing nuclear physics. (laughs) I'm not sure it works that way. But um, it's no, it's a really cool concept. I think it's a fantastic concept. And it's actually a concept that has been alluded to. So people have kind of been aware of this throughout history. I've got some quotes for you, Sam. Oh, Confucius. Real knowledge is to know the extent of one's knowledge. That's Confucius. Shakespeare. The fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. Oh, that's a good one. And then Alexander Pope. A little knowledge is a dangerous thing. A little learning is a dangerous thing, actually. My apologies. Uh, yeah, I, I just love this concept that silly people think they're smart asses, But it also makes you question yourself, doesn't it, Sam? When you're uh, thinking someone else is being stupid, is it you that's being the stupid one? No, especially <laughs> when commenting on the internet. No. Do you know that there's another... Fa- here's a favourite study of mine, um, and it was, take- it was done in the United States, and I think it's been repeated in a number of places. But a large group of people are asked how good they are at driving. And usually the result comes out at about 90% of people saying they're above average. And um, 
you know, I just love the fact that mathematically it just completely doesn't add up. It's brilliant. On that note, I'm hoping now we're not going to make any mistakes because we're going to look like total hypocrites, aren't we? Because we're quit- we're just saying how stupid other people are. We're going to have to be on our game this week. I, because I'm a highly intelligent man and therefore fully aware of my own failings, know that I'm going to fuck up. But fortunately, through the magic of editing, I can make myself seem like an absolute sage. You, on the other hand, are absolutely at my mercy, my friend. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. I'm doomed, aren't I? <laughs> I'm absolutely doomed. You can do what you like. You're going to edit out all the good things I say and just fill the podcast with shit you vindictive bastard right (laughs) who have you chosen to do sam what have you chosen as your topic so today tom i am going to talk about the battle of karen sebes in 1788 aka how to lose a war with booze excellent and uh what are you talking about tom i'm gonna go back to the roman empire sam i've done the roman republic so i don't feel like i'm repeating myself if i do the roman empire and i'm going to talk about satire 10 of juveniles the satires oh i don't know the satires good i didn't either i'm going back to being saucy sam i like having a source and focusing in on a source (laughs) they call me saucy tom for that reason i have seen that written on many a toilet wall Oh yeah, saucy Tom was here. It's me that writes it. I've, it's almost, it's almost, well, it wouldn't be someone else who was writing saucy Tom was here, would it? Well, it could be another Tom. There could be another saucy Tom. So yes, I'm, I'm pleased to be talking about Juveniles of Satire, Sam, because it, it's actually a book that sat on my bookshelf since university. Because in the first year at university, I did a module where the, the lecturer said, you have to buy this book. It's the most important book you're going to buy. And we never used it once, Sam. And I'm going to pick it up here and I'm going to look at how much it cost. <laughs> £7.99 that cost. That was about four months worth of pot noodles at university. <laughs> so I'm... That was. Any Americans listening to this who are used to paying like three or four hundred dollars for a course textbook, they are not going to have a huge amount of sympathy for you. Is but still, right? 7 99 isn't it? But no, I had good fun reading juvenile satires. It is actually quite good. But I must admit, Sam, you know, on this topic, we could have both gone very, very, very silly. You know, there are plenty of examples, aren't there? Plenty of historical examples of just plain silliness. My choice, actually, Sam, is going gonna, is gonna to be very educational. And it's hopefully going to, you know, change how people think about their life. Oh, for fuck's sake, really? Very, absolute, poignant, I think, is the word I'm going to use. Mine's not. <laughs> Yours isn't <laughs> Fair enough. Mine's just an example of people being arseholes and stupid. <laughs> well, there's a nice juxtaposition there, Sam, which I think is going to be good for the listener. We should probably flip something to see who goes first, shouldn't we? Who's going to have a toss? Well, you know me, Tom. I'm always one for a toss. And again, I haven't got my wallet with me, so in the fine tradition of that was genius, I'm going to flip a random item that I have in front of me, which in this case is my P45. Your P45? Sorry, your P45? Is that a... Isn't that you being sacked? Yes, it is, Tom. Yes, it is. It's the document in the UK you get when you leave your employment for whatever reason. And um, I happen to have mine in front of me now. Were you sacked from your last job? I wasn't. No, I... uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I have been sacked before for getting into an argument with a celebrity. (laughs) I I, I I love this anecdote, Sam, but... I don't know much about podcasts. I'm guessing we're not allowed to name who it is. <laughs> no. Can we elude <laughs> one of the biggest Hollywood stars in history? He's been in... Yes, a, a very major Hollywood star who has been in... The biggest franchises in history. Yes, several several of. And I, that is as much as I'm going to say about names, I think, because I don't want to have to edit this out. I had a job as a celebrity interviewer a few years back. 
and it was quite a stressful job. I was working quite long hours. I was, it was the end of a very, very long day. This guy was promoting a new film. He'd had a very long day. Neither of us were on great form. And he's, he's somewhat typecast, I think, this actor, it's fair to say. And I was getting kind of one-word answers out of him. He was basically being uh, a bit unhelpful, which isn't very good when you're trying to interview someone for radio or TV. <laughs> Uh, and I was very tired and not really thinking straight. And there's two things you can do in this situation. You can either try and suck up to, to this person or you can uh, kind of Insult try them. and antagonise them a little bit. <laughs> try and wind them up. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you can, yeah, you can, you can wind them up a little bit to see if you get more of a result that way. Anyway, I went for the wind up option and basically asked this person why they only ever play themselves in films. <laughs> in fact, I didn't basically ask that. That was how I worded the question. Brilliant. Uh, to which said celebrity responded, I think that's a little small mind and left the room and shut me down and I got uh, my boss got a call from his person uh, about three weeks later and I got hauled into an office and uh, given the rest of the day and in fact my life off oh but Sam I think it's worth it I think it was worth it because I love that anecdote it's it's one of my favorite anecdotes ever from anyone so I did get fired but for this job no I, I quit to go traveling so would you like the side that has how much I earned on it or the side that has my address and details of my employer on it Hmm. Did you earn a lot? Because that side will be heavier. Significantly more than I earn now as a work-from-home podcast producer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go for that side, Sam, because it sounds light and airy, and it sounds like it's going to be at the top when it falls. Okay. There you go. I've no idea if you heard that, but it did in fact hit the microphone on its way down, and it is the side that makes me weep because I remember that I used to have a wage. You win. Ah. Get in. I'm going to push you in first, Sam. You can go. Okay, well, in that case, I'm going to start us off with the Battle of Karancebes, which occurred on the night of the 21st to the 22nd of September, 1788. Now, this battle was part of the Austro-Turkish War of 1787 to 1791, which was part of a wider war in which Catherine the Great of ruling Russia and shagging horses fame was invading Turkey from the north. Hold on. Shagging shagging horses fame. Oh, yeah. Do you know what? I was considering doing it for my love story last week, but I thought that too many people would have heard of it. Uh, heard of Catherine the Great and her uh, infamous taste for men and horses. I've never heard of this. Yeah, she, she died being shagged by a horse, is the legend, the rumour. Split asunder. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say I wasn't going to go that deep. Uh, I was going to go that far. So she had a fetish. Oh, no. She had a fetish for horses. Uh, Catherine the Great had a fetish for absolutely everything. She had her first husband murdered. F- for sexual reasons. Well, for power reasons more than anything else. Right. But whilst her first husband was busy being murdered, she decided that she was bored and so shagged the soldiers who were guarding her. That started off quite a long train of sexual depravity. Wow. The Russians were mental, though. Absolutely mad. But anyway, whilst she was shagging horses, she was also fucking turkey. Nice. Just to segue us neatly back on track. That was good. Three sentences yeah. in. I like that. <laughs> Austria, big empire at the time, Holy Roman Empire, thought, we'll have a bit of this. So they invaded Turkey as well, from the west coming in on the east. And... The Austrian army was huge. It was 100,000 men from all parts of the empire, including Italians, Czechs, Hungarians, and lots of mercenaries as well. Uh, Many of whom, and this is important later in the story, spoke no German whatsoever, not a word of it. 
On the 21st of September 1788, this huge army, being led by the Holy Roman Empire, Joseph II, arrived in the town of Karansebes in modern-day Romania, which is kind of on the border between the Austrian Empire and the Ottoman Empire at the time. Karansebes, very important town, very strategically placed down a valley which opens up onto the Hungarian plains, and they were there scouting for Ottoman forces, who they knew were around somewhere but had no idea where. It was getting late, the sun was setting, and the town was as good a place as any to stop. It was strategically important, as I've said. It had nice houses for the officers to sleep in and have their dress shirts cleaned and all of the other things that watching Sharp for many years taught me is important about <laughs> armies in this time. Excellent. Which side was Sean Bean on? Are we allowed to name him? Uh, can I name that actor? We can name Sean Bean, yeah. Sean Bean's lovely. If you like, we could use another name that people will know, but it won't be alluding to him directly. We could call him Sean... Sean Bean. <laughs> <laughs> I was. <laughs> well, that started off full of promise, didn't it? I was, I was thinking so hard about how to pronounce it. What I was going to go for is the joke. Was Seen Bone. Seen Bone is the joke I was going to go for. <laughs> but it was, on the edge, it was on the edge of my tongue. I realised I'd started off uh, wrong. I thought, fuck it, I'll go with it. <laughs> You know, I don't even know why I'm doing this because all of this is getting cut out. <laughs> it does, as we've established from last week, Sam, you know, we could get something fantastic if we just produce enough content. We're just going to th- <laughs> Abs- throw eggs at Absolutely. the wall. Absolutely. The army's in the town of Karen Sebes, and everything we know up to this point is, is true. We can say without doubt that this war happened and the army was in this place at this time. But after this, it starts to get a, a little bit muddy for reasons that will become clear. Some of it is first-hand or second-hand reports of the battle and what happened. Some of it's newspaper articles, both from friendly and hostile publications. And some of it is just legend. But here's the most common and, frankly, the most fun retelling of the story, Tom. So, the army set up its camp just outside the town and sends out advance parties to watch for intruders, one of which was a company of hussars, who were kind of elite noble cavalry forces. Right. And they crossed over the river near town, the Timis River, and set up a little camp and were approached by a group of locals who'd been distilling some schnapps. The hussars <laughs> bought their entire supply and started to get very, 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 very drunk. Schnapps? What, is, what actually is schnapps? I'm not entirely certain. I've been drunk on it many times, but I have no idea what it's made of. It's basically a spirit. It's kind of vodka. It's Germanic vodka. Germanic vodka. Excellent. Okay, schnapps. Yeah, it's it's slightly sweet. But let's be honest, this this stuff had been brewed in a bathtub by <laughs> the locals, and so it's probably just meths. Nettles. So anyway, you've got a group of drunk cavalrymen having a, a little party. They're singing. They're having a great time. And uh, pretty quickly, a group of infantrymen from across the river on the main camp heard what was going on and crossed over to join in, demanding that the hussars shared some of their booze. <laughs> the cavalrymen refused, obviously. They were elite cavalry. They paid for all this booze themselves. Why would they share it with scummy common soldiers? So obviously, a massive fight broke out. Uh, at some point it started to get serious and the cavalry actually built barricades and fortifications <laughs> around the booth. <laughs> no, you're gone. surely not. Seriously? <laughs> to try and, yeah, to try and stop anyone from stealing it. <laughs> Whilst pissed, no doubt. So, Whilst absolutely mullered. So actually, yeah. was, this, was this barricade just stolen traffic cones and signs? That they just pinched. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that they pinched. Pretty sure that was it. This will be a great idea. Let's build a barricade. Uh, so they can take our lives. 
But I'll never take your booze. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fuck off, fuck. I love my snaps. <laughs> oh, I love you. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this obviously got the infantry really fucking angry. And at some point, someone fired a shot. The gunfire alerted yet another party of soldiers who obviously thought that the Ottomans were attacking and started to yell out that the Turks were coming. Uh, The (laughs) drunken hussars and infantry, realising suddenly that there was an attack incoming and that they were out in the open and away from the main camp, immediately panicked and started to scatter and run back towards the camp, not realising, of course, that they were, in fact, the Turkish invaders. (laughs) The main body of troops in the camp heard the gunfire and saw that people were trying to cross the river at speed in the darkness while shouting and screaming in languages that they didn't understand and obviously assumed that it was the Turks. So the main camp of soldiers opened fire on all of the soldiers who were trying to retreat from the Turks, who weren't there because they were the Turks. Oh, no. Other parties who'd been sent forward to scout for Ottoman troops saw what was happening, assumed the camp was under attack, and they started to run back to try and defend the camp as well. And so, clearly, they got shot at. (laughs) The soldiers in the camp... This is ridiculous. This is like one of those comedy fights in a bar, isn't it, where someone throws a... uh, Or, like, how a food (laughs) fight starts, you know? Someone throws a, a, a cake... The other person dodges, it hits the next person. That person throws a pineapple, it dodges someone yep. else. And then before you know it, there's a food fight. What kind of food fight have you seen where the two items on offer are a cake and a pineapple? And as we established from last week, <laughs> avocados. Avocados. Avocado. I mean, one of those also, when hurled, is going to cause a hell of a lot more damage than the other. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the pineapple against the side of the head. I was thinking of... Nobody that. brings a pineapple to a cake fight. <laughs> Depends what sort of cake it is. It could be a rock cake. It could, well, it could be a pineapple upside down cake, which yeah. would make an awful lot more sense in context. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pineapple feast that those people were at. <laughs> right. So the well-known feast of the pineapple. <laughs> yeah. But yes, as as established, it was a it was a, it was basically a farcical bar fight. Yeah. By this point, but all of the soldiers who'd been sent out to scout, now believing the camp was under attack, fled back to the camp to try and defend it. Uh, and they were coming in from all directions, which of course made the panicked soldiers in the camp think that they were completely surrounded by the Ottomans. <laughs> and, uh, and they started just shooting at absolutely everyone who moved. Some of the officers who were camped on slightly higher ground realised what was happening and waded into the fray and started to shout Halt in German. Hals. Hals. Uh, but of course, Hals. Hals. My God, Hals. what are you doing? Presumably Austrian. Yes, they were, yes. The officers were, were largely Austrian. So did they sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> they did, yeah. Get down. What are you waiting for? Get to the tents. <laughs> what are you doing? The Austrian oak himself came out and started shouting, Halt. But of course, all of the non-German speaking troops had no idea what this meant and immediately apparently assumed that they were shouting, Allah. Because the two sound really similar. Yeah, halt an hour. Yeah, okay. And therefore started to assume that not only were they being attacked, but the Ottomans had infiltrated the camp and started attacking all of the officers, who obviously then ran away as well. One of the army's senior commanders saw what was happening, assumed that the camp had been overrun and that the uh, Ottomans were deep inside their own territory, and so ordered all of the cannons to open fire on the camp. Oh, for crying out loud. It just got worse and worse. And worse. So the cannons... So where were the cannons positioned? So the cannons would typically have been positioned on slightly higher ground. 
so that they could get a, a proper range of fire over, overlooking the camp and the surrounding rivers so what? that they could they could fire on any intruders. Um, oh, so at this point... <laughs> they're shooting cannons into their own bloody camp. Yeah. Oh, so at this God. point, the Austrian army was fighting the Austrian army whilst running from the Austrian army, <laughs> drunkenly shooting at anyone they could see, believing that everyone that they could see was in fact an Ottoman, all whilst being shelled by their own cannons. Oh my God. <laughs> there was absolute pandemonium. And at some point it got so bad that Emperor Joseph II himself, the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, was knocked off his horse into a ditch. <laughs> as, as a comedy, this is sounding a bit farcical, Sam. This is the slapstick ending. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Did he, did he land in a sort of barrel of tar and then roll out into a big pile of feathers? Yeah, he landed on his bum into a big barrel of tar and then rolled down a hill Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and ended up at the bottom of the hill where the trumpet went... <laughs> yeah, the little trombone sound effect. And he's just stood there tapping his chin like Laurel and Hardy at the end. Looking at the camera. That's another fine mess you've gotten us into. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Germans, they're known for their sense of humour, aren't they? They absolutely are. It was, to quote the great Malcolm Tucker, an omni-shambles. It was a clusterfuck. The army fled the town in panic. Dozens of soldiers died and many more were reported missing, along with... Uh, I, how did this happen? At some point during the battle, the army's entire paychecks went missing. What? Oh, yes. Colour me surprised. So, so in the midst of all the stupidity, someone was sharp enough to think, hold on, this is my opportunity. Let's grab a hold of that. Were the, were the Ottomans observing this? Because you can't help but notice that it would, have been, it would have been a wonderful thing to watch. Well, according to this version of the story, no. They actually turned up two days later into the town and found hundreds of wounded men, the camp in absolute ruins and on fire, and they took the town without a shot being fired. And the locals pissing themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and the locals absolutely shitting themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Just hysterics. They're before eight hours of constant hysterics. <laughs> yeah. Joseph II walking around town with his bum still stuck in a barrel. <laughs> Somebody, please get me out of this tubed barrel. My God. What does an emperor have to do to get a little help around here? Oh, brilliant. Bye, <laughs> Iota. So anyway, the Turks turned up and some reports suggest that they found around 1,500 dead and wounded 1500. men around the town, which is the most credible result of the battle. There are some some accounts give figures of up to 10,000, but that's that's frankly nonsense. There's nothing to support that. But yeah, most sources say it was around 1,500 casualties, dead and wounded. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, exactly what happened that night will remain a mystery because oddly and unsurprisingly, there's no full account of what happened from the Austrian army records. It seems to have been swept under the rug a little bit. Yes. But there were plenty yes. of news reports at the time that said that there was a, a, a friendly fire incident, some kind of kerfuffle on the border of the Austrian and the Ottoman empires. And uh, foreign intelligence briefings in London at the time, they give a slightly different version of stories, which said that it was a bit of nighttime confusion and that there were some Ottoman scouts who'd been taking pot shots at the camp. So everyone was kind of a bit nervous. And when two patrols discovered each other, there was a bit of a panic and, uh, and around 150 men were killed. But that wouldn't explain how the entire 100,000 man army was completely routed, fled the area and the Ottomans were able to take the town without firing a shot. So that story has a hole in it. And frankly, the version that I told is much more fun. Absolutely, much more fun. And so is there a propaganda element to the 
account that you've described, Sam? Yeah, almost certainly. So we've got Ottoman records on this. We have records from back home in Vienna. And actually, it must be said that the accounts from Vienna aren't very complimentary. This was a very unpopular war. Right. The whole war was a bit of a mess. Joseph II was looking for a bit of stability at home, which is why he started this war. But it went really badly. There were around 10,000 casualties. Around 10% of the army died, but largely from disease. Uh, they were just they were in a really bad way the entire time. There was a huge refugee problem. They were considering introducing conscription back in Vienna because so many officers had died. So all of Vienna's elite fled the city and fled the empire. Oh, right. Uh, which caused a recession, which caused rioting in the streets of Vienna. So the entire war was really unpopular. And there's every chance that what actually happened in Karen Sebes was blown completely out of proportion, even by the Austrian press at home. Yes. Because they were looking for an excuse to snub the emperor, snub the empire, and basically call bull on the entire war. It was a real mess, you know, it didn't end well. But Karen Sebes was probably the worst of it. I'm going to I'm going to put that out there. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. I can't help but feel that some of that is just is comic license from some writers, but it, it is a wonderful story. It absolutely is, but I'm willing to embrace that for the purposes of entertainment, Tom. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's something to be said in history as well. History isn't necessarily about the truth. History is about what people were writing. And on, uh, with that justification, I'm willing to give the folk version of the story because it's fucking hilarious. That is good. That is fantastic. Well, as I mentioned at the start, I've chosen an, an option that allows me to go a little bit higher brow, Sam. It's still talking about st- man's stupidity, man's folly. But we're all going to learn some valuable lessons here today, I think, Sam. I hope that after this podcast, people are going to go away better people, wiser people. <laughs> that is bold. Lofty ambitions. Well, uh, I'm sure that's happened in the previous four episodes, Sam. I mean, the digressions into Big Break, I think, were very mentally stimulating. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Sir Flannel Washbottom. <laughs> I, for one, am now taking him as my moral guide. <laughs> Sir Flannel as your, as your Jiminy Cricket, Sir Flannel Washbottom sits on your shoulder giving good advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I let him sit on my shoulder as well, Tom. Do you know why? Because he's got a very clean bottom. Hello, Sam. Hello. <laughs> it's a me, Santa Flannel. Uh, have a good day today. What should we have for breakfast? Oh, Domino's pizza. <laughs> How many hobnobs do you want today? Have lots, Sam. Have lots of hobnobs. <laughs> the most important thing to remember is to always wash behind your ears. And in other areas that can pick up bacteria. <laughs> That's very practical advice. I would like to have Flannel wash bottom as my good conscience. <laughs> Who would be your bad conscience? Is that Lord Bubbly Fart from last week? Is your bad conscience? No, my bad conscience is now um, Hitler. Hit- <laughs> okay. Oh, come on, Sam. Pol Pot. Hold on. Neither of them were that bad. Hey, eh? could you not think of anyone worse? Right. I've chosen, Sam, juvenile satire number 10. My favourite of the 10 satires. Absolutely. There are actually, well, Sam, there are 16. In five different books, that's juvenile. (laughs) You may think there's a connection between juvenile and the word juvenile. There is, Sam. So juvenile's actual name, and now prepare yourself for pronunciation of Latin, Decimus Iunius Juvenalis. That's his name. And I think it's the the final part of that, Juvenalis, just means young adult. Um, so that's the oh. sort of connection. So that's juvenile. Is this in the same way that we had uh, Warty Fabius the other week and the Romans just gave each other nicknames because they all had the same name? You're right. They might well be, actually. That's a very good point. 
that is a very good point. It could well be the case. Because I'm sure at some point in his life, he probably was a young man. Well, the odds are. Yeah, the odds are. So this is satire number 10. Satire 10 is it's called by this translator, The Futility of Aspirations. And quite early on in this satire, we, we get the quote, we beg for things that will hurt us. So this, this satire, it's one of the most famous of the satires, is about the folly of humans aspiring to things that actually aren't going to make them happy. In, in fact, these things that will actually lead to their downfall in certain occasions. Juvenal himself was born in the second half of the first century AD. So this is just to give you an idea of when this is all taking place. And so when he was young, he would have lived through the reigns of some of the shittier emperors. <laughs> As they're known in history books. <laughs> yes, the shittier emperors. Absolutely. Well, that links on nicely, Sam, to the emperors who were alive, who were reigning when Juvenal was was actually writing. So he was writing during the period that we call the the reign the reign of the five good emperors do you know who they are sam oh do you know what i being a history fan i feel like i should be able to name some of the better emperors <laughs> but is, is diocletian is he one of them diocletian is not sam it is he's not he's one of the earlier emperors isn't he so i think oh god let's edit this bit out sam because it's demonstrating a huge amount of ignorance um, so the five good emperors are, and I might not get these in the right order, Nerva, Trajan, Hadrian. Oh, Trajan was on my list. I was going to guess Trajan. You were going to Trajan, yeah, Trajan. Antoninus Pius, and then Marcus Aurelius. So those were the five good emperors. And that period, uh, probably the, the peak of prosperity and peace and sort of the, the best time to live in the Roman Empire, to the extent, in fact, that the famous author, the historian Edward Gibbon, um, you know, who wrote The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire, said that that, of all the times in human history, that is the time that he would most like to live. That was one of the best times to live as a human. I mean, that's a bold claim, isn't it? The best time to live as a human was 15200 yeah, AD. Absolutely. I thought the same thing. I mean, I quite like 2012. Yeah, less chance of crucifixion nowadays. We're not without our problems, but disease and crucifixion, being fed to lions, being thrown face on at Germanic tribes. Mm, yeah, I know. It had its downsides. I, I quite like Western medicine, Sam. I'll be honest with you. I quite like televisions. I Huge like, fan. Yeah. yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Clearly Gibbon wasn't. So he, he liked this period. So we get in the satires of Juvenal, which is a really quite aggressive attack on certain elements of Roman culture. And it's it's interesting from that perspective because it's a really good, insightful look at how the Romans lived. So the first start of uh, uh, so <laughs> the start of oh you think by making a fart noise I'm going to edit that out no, no son oh shit and if, even if I swear you can still leave it in so satire ten begins with say something libelous say something li- <laughs> you bastard <laughs> yeah you're gonna to have to edit that out now aren't you na- no um, no you've named the celebrity you may have named the celebrity but I'm just gonna bleep it <laughs> and no one will ever know. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, touche, sir. Touche. Let me start again. I lost my trace a little bit. So, so, so the satire, satire 10, is structured in such a way that Juvenal addresses five different sort of follies of man. So the first one he starts with is the desire for wealth and ambition. And he uses the example of the poor traveller. The poor traveller doesn't give a monkeys. The poor traveller uh, walks along the road, whistling to himself, laughing in the face of robbers because he has nothing to steal. He's happy. Whereas the wealthy traveller 
travels in fear, travels scared of his own shadow, shaking when he hears a distant sound of a leaf rustling. Because he has money, has things to be stolen. Is that man happy? Well, I probably would argue that, yes, possibly he is, because he can afford bodyguards. <laughs> yes, and food. Life for him yeah. is, in fact, objectively brilliant. He, yes, he's got, he's got a roof <laughs> over his head, absolutely, whereas the whistling idiot, who's, who's never done a hard day's work in his life. Anyway, a large portion of the satire is dedicated to this chap called Lucius Aelius Sejanus. Sejanus? That sounds a bit like vagina. Lucius Aelius <laughs> Sejanus. Have you heard of Sejanus? I haven't, no. And it's not Sejanus, it's S-E-J-A-N-U-S, a Sejanus. Sejanus was a very ambitious and successful individual during the reign of Tiberius. And this is the first century AD. He grew his power in the Praetorian Guard, which we know is basically the emperor's bodyguard, uh, a sort of crack unit that protects the emperor. So he rises up the ranks in the Praetorian Guard. He becomes the leader of the Praetorian Guard. He, in that position, manages to develop the power of that body and also secures his position as a leader in the Praetorian Guard. He becomes very close to Tiberius and as a result of that there's a lot of envy amongst the Roman senatorial classes and also Tiberius's immediate family um, and part of that is also due to the fact that Sejanus was an equestrian so he wasn't of the same class as uh, people that he was sort of influencing and who he was meddling with and mingling with. The equestrians are knights, aren't they? They're the Roman knights rather than lords and senators. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. He also sounds as if he's a very sneaky little sly plotter, Sam. So he sounds like he's he's a clever clogs. He's the sort of person who can escalate up the social ranks quickly um, by being a sneaky sod. He sounds like a bit of an arsehole. Yeah, I mean, it's always difficult to know, isn't it? Because the, obviously the sources we read have their biases, but Juvenal is definitely painting a picture of a not particularly pleasant person. Juvenal is setting this chap, he's using this chap as an example of what happens when you're overly ambitious. The taller you are, the harder you fall. So Sejanus manages to isolate Tiberius in Capri. And according to Juvenal, he's essentially the, the, the number two in the empire. He is basically the emperor's right-hand man um, looking after affairs. So Sejanus is, is not very popular, particularly amongst Tiberius's family. There's a suggestion, suggestion that um, Sejanus has, plays a role in the death of a number of Tiberius's sons. The only one of Tiberius's sons who actually survives to adulthood is Caligula, who obviously becomes an emperor. That would rile up the family if you were killing all of the children in the family. Absolutely. If we're looking for a reason to hate him. It, it all seems very conniving as well, Sam. He's not just stabbing someone in the forum. It's it's all very conniving and there are sort of suggestions that he was involved in this and suspicious circumstances here. In the end, the Senate, and this this is after also, I, I better add, this is also after Sejanus has started purging the Senate of basically political rivals. His political rivals get the better of him. So he's risen pretty much as high as he can, this Sejanus chap, and there's a plot against him. They strangle Sejanus, throw him down the, the Gemonium stairs, which I understand were um, in the centre of Rome, and the public just tear this man apart. Juvenal alludes to the fact that the, the public are incredibly fickle, which is where we get this wonderful, famous phrase, bread and circuses. Yeah. So that comes from Juvenal. So Juvenal talks or, or bread and games. So Juvenal is basically saying the, the public are fickle. You know, uh, they'll turn on anyone if it means that they can rip someone's body apart <laughs> at the base of the Jamodian <laughs> steps. As we all know, that is completely true. Now that I think about it, I can understand where Gibbon was coming from. Yes. You know, in the modern world, you're not allowed to rip apart 
you know, successful social climbers, are you? No, you're not. And you know, moreover, Tom, I lament the lack of big communal staircases in today's in today's environment. <laughs> Health and safety gone mad. You can't throw someone down a disabled ramp, can you? <laughs> yeah, well, you could. It just wouldn't be as dramatic. <laughs> they would just roll. His friend, so this was a, a friend of Sejanus, Brutedius. He's lining up to kick the body. Just a, a, an indication from Juvenal of how hypocritical people are when it comes to social and, and political politics. This, this chap, Brutedius, lining up to kick the dead body of his of his friend Sejanus and but also making sure that his slave is there to witness it just that his slave can you know spread the word Brutedius is a, is a good man and enjoys kicking kicking kicking, kicking <laughs> dead bodies as much as the next man a respectable man one of us yeah, one, one of, of the us. people uh, yeah good chap Anyway, here's a quote from Juvenal. By craving even more honours and seeking ever more wealth, he was building a lofty tower of numerous stories, which meant that the fall would be all the greater. So there you have it. So that's the futility of people aspiring to high political office and greater wealth, etc. And the second folly sin that Juvenal discusses is, is eloquence. He talks about two famous orators, Demosthenes, have I pronounced that right? Demosthenes, that's quite a mouthful. And Cicero. <laughs> Much easier to pronounce. Much easier to pronounce. Demosthenes was a Greek statesman and a famous orator, and he committed suicide after encouraging the Athenians to seek independence from Macedon. And he was captured, and so he just sort of popped his own clogs, so he committed suicide. Cicero, he was executed uh, on the orders of Mark Antony, because after the death of Caesar on the Ides of March... Cicero made Mark Antony a political enemy by being quite aggressive in his attacks on Mark Antony in public orations. So Cicero was killed and his severed hands and head were displayed on the rostra, which I understand to be a place in ancient Rome where orations took place. Um, so juveniles using these examples of, yeah, you want to be eloquent. Young men, they always want to be eloquent. They want to be the best orator in the class. They want to grow and become influential politicians. But look what happens to those people who are eloquent. So it's basically don't be a, don't be a clever clogs. Is that what he's saying? Absolutely. Nobody likes a smart aleck. The third folly... Be stupid. Be Be stupid. Don't talk proper. Be dumb and ignorant. Yeah. The third thing is greatness. Juvenal is warning us against greatness. God, I've got a bit of a frog in my throat, Sam. Was that what they called chicken in the curry house? That's exactly the joke I was (laughs) going to go for, Sam. Thank you. Sorry, you can make it too. No. I'll edit out whoever's funnier. You you can have it. (laughs) Juvenal points out with regard to greatness, so there are a lot of people that actually prefer greatness over goodness, and that's quite a Quite a poignant, isn't it, Sam, really? Well, here's a, here's a quote, in fact. Who, in fact, embraces goodness herself if you take away the rewards? So he's being critical of people who actually only want to be seen as being good so that they can achieve greatness. And I think we've all seen that with people's charitable behaviour. They're charitable just so that people can see them being charitable rather than being charitable because they think it's the right thing to do. Juvenal talks about the desire for status and praise, but he also points out that, you know, you get, get people who have achieved fantastic things in their lives and they have wonderful inscriptions on their grave but that gravestone pulled apart by mere fig trees pulled apart by mere fig trees over time it becomes nothing in time this person's achievements and he uses the example of Hannibal um, who we discussed in our pilot didn't we Hannibal who despite all of his great achievements ends up exiled as a bit of a novelty at the court of Antiochus III of Syria and he becomes just a, a story talked about by school children you know a story in a school book 
And it's another nice quote. It is only death which reveals the puny size of human bodies. Are you starting to get a, a sense that Juvenal was a miserable git, Sam? Uh, yes. I was just about to say, he is quite the miser, isn't he? he he's is... not a cheerful chap. No, he's incredibly miserable. And you do get that when you're reading through here. He's starting to sound a little bit, if you don't mind me saying, like a kind of an old school communist. <laughs> <laughs> I was going off you. Yeah, yeah. He's very, he's very kind of anti-intellectual, anti-materialist. It is coming across that way, absolutely. And the conclusion of this satire gives us a bit more of an indication as to what this this guy's sort of world view was. If you thought he was miserable thus far in his approach to wealth and greatness and a desire to be eloquent, listen to what he has to say about people who want a long lifespan. This gets really... This, <laughs> I, I'm not someone... Now, I'm not someone, Sam, who likes to throw around accusations of sexism or racism willy-nilly, but I would suggest this is pretty ageist um, in the 21st century, how juvenile, um, how juvenile feels about ageing. So this is how he describes old people. Look at the face. Misshapen and hideous beyond recognition. Instead of skin, you see misshapen hide, baggy cheeks, and the kind of wrinkles that are etched on the aged jowls of an African ape. Wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> Love you, Grandad. <laughs> <laughs> Granddad, we love you. Granddad. Though your face me grey and pale. And you're dribbling out your nose. Why didn't you die in your twenties? We'll throw you down the stairs. Granddad, you flatulent fucker. (laughs) (laughs) Juvenile talks about how young men always compare themselves to each other. They're all saying, this person's stronger than this person, this person's faster, this person's got better looks. And then he says, but with old people and their snot running down their faces and their trembling voices, they're all the fucking same, aren't they? Old people (laughs) all look the same to me, don't they? Um, He talks about their toothless gums. The, the fact that they're repellent to their family, they're horrible old ugly people, um, they cannot taste anything, no sex. Listen to this as a quote, Sam, if you can't get any comic material out of this. <laughs> I, I really have lost hope. We just audibly crack my knuckles. <laughs> I, just, I will have lost hope for this podcast. His shrunken tool, with vein enlarged, just lies there, and though caressed all night, it will can you, it will continue to lie there. <laughs> <laughs> the wanking old toothless repellent man <laughs> wanking all night <laughs> it really is <laughs> wow it is really a wonderful description of, of what it's like to be an old person it's a self-fulfilling prophecy really isn't it because he clearly get didn't get invited to many dinner parties juvenile <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. And I think that shows in his writings, and I think that perpetuated into probably not getting any more invites. He's just a miserable git. He really is a miserable git when you read this. Look at these people speaking properly. Look at these smart people. Look at his dick. Look at his penis. Uh, Old people, successful people, fucking Hannibal, Uh, miserable, Uh, miserable. Look at him with his money and his old cock hanging out. Look at it. <laughs> <laughs> Vain enlarged. 
Um, he talks about how old people are deaf, they're always sick, they've got broken bones, they're blind. Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, Sam, but I think most people <laughs> have had grandparents. Most people have, you know, experienced their grandparents. My grandparents seemed all right. It was only the last couple of years. I mean, in all seriousness, this is an insight into um, what it was like to be elderly during the Roman Empire, isn't it? I mean... Again, Edward Gibbon, the golden age. Edward Gibbon clearly, clearly wrote that. You know, decided he liked this period in history before he got old. God, <laughs> absolutely. And not a word as original in sight. No, not a not a word as original. Tucked right down at the bottom of his pocket. Old people have really long, deep pockets, don't they, Sam? When they put the hand in to get the word as original out, it just keeps going. Keeps going. Keeps <laughs> just going. Just disappears out of their ankle. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It starts much higher up than everyone else's because they always wear their trousers so high, don't they, old people? Belt round. Well, they have to to be able to reach down to the bottom of their pockets, Tom. <laughs> yes, I suppose so. There is a logic Fucking behind logic. it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I guess that goes back to the Dunning-Kruger effect, doesn't it, Sam? I was too stupid to realise that that is why old people did it. I was ignorant. The last thing that um, Juvenile sets his target on is good-looking young men. Ah, uh, fuck those good-looking <laughs> good young men, fucking uh, bloody old people. So the the right age to be is youngish, which oddly is exactly the age that Juvenal happens to be at the time he's writing his books. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and I get I I get the impression it's more than just that, Sam. I think the only people in the world that Juvenal thinks are happy are Juvenal. <laughs> I think he's. Doing, I'm brilliant. Everyone else is a fucking idiot. Anyway, I can't wait to hear what he has to say about young people with presumably their throbbing erections and excellent hearing. It's not far from the truth, Sam. Um, beauty <laughs> and virtue are rarely found together. So I would say... <laughs> he's really miserable. <laughs> a, it, listen to it. A good-looking boy will just be sold into sex slavery. That's all that's going to happen if you have a good-looking boy. You will wish for it. You will wish to have a good-looking boy. He's just going to be made a eunuch. Inevitable. Fucking inevitable, he's going to be made into a eunuch. Listen to this quote. Nero would never rape a stripling with bandy legs or a swollen belly and crooked back. Wow. Jesus Christ. It's bloody uplifting, isn't it? And he talks about how good-looking young men, they end up having affairs with older ladies and they become they end up becoming the victim of vengeful husbands. He goes on to say that many of them will just end up stealing the wealth of this old cougar that they've been shagging. <laughs> Listen to this as another quote, Sam. And again, if we can't get a few laughs out of this, we're not really working. We've got no hope. I have no words. I've got no. I've got no comedy material left to give. This guy's writing it himself. <laughs> you know, he's famous for his quote. Oh, what was it? The one we came up with earlier: "Bread and circuses." He's also famous for another quote that I'm going to. I'm going to come to in a moment. Uh, but I'm, I'm surprised he's not more famous for this quote, Sam. It's, it's poetic. It's beautiful. For what will any woman deny to her clammy crotch? <laughs> <laughs> clammy crotch. I just want to repeat that. Clammy oh, crotch. No. For the audience, I just, want, I just want to put it out there. The uh, last week when we were recording, I made a joke about wanking in the bath, <laughs> and I got an email from Tom saying you have to cut that bit out. Our audience have standards, low standards, but standards. I just, <laughs> I just want that to be known Sam. as we discuss the clammy crotches of the Roman gentry. <laughs> Sam, I'd like to point out this isn't me, Sam. I don't find this at all mature, at all. I think this is incredibly disgusting. I am merely, I am merely quoting. A historical source. Um, I, I'm. 
I, I liked, I, I would love to be Niall Rudd, whose, whose translation I'm reading here. I'd love to have been him when he came across this in the original Latin and thought, how am I going to translate that? <laughs> and that's the talent of it, isn't it? That's the talent of a good translator. How can they just get the feel, the feel for what Juvenal was trying to say in his original text? Clammy crotch. That's either the sign of a really good translator or an absolutely abysmal one. Or one who's just taking the piss. <laughs> or one who's laughing, yeah, laughing as he's he writing. Clammy crotch. Hey. Um, <laughs> it's like when we were kids, me and my me and my siblings, we had a dictionary. I know we were clever, Sam. We were brought up in a good home. Oh, juvenile would have words with you, mate. <laughs> You're fucking reading books, improving vocabulary, wankers. We had a dictionary, and if you looked up, <laughs> if you looked up fart or breaking wind, I can't remember what it was. The definition was a small explosion between the legs. <laughs> I could not help. We could not help but feel like the what person who. What prudish dictionary was this? <laughs> Fantastic, isn't it? Fanta- I can't help but feel that the person who wrote that was slightly taking the piss. A small <laughs> explosion between the legs. So these poor, attractive young men. What's inevitably going to happen to them if they're not turned into eunuchs and, and buggered by Nero? They're going to be. They're going to end up finding a, a an old cougar whose wealth they want to steal. They get killed by a vengeful husband. Because the uh, the old cougar can't do anything when a clammy crutches directing things. <laughs> anyway, we it's also, golden age, Tom. It's it a, gold, a golden, golden age. age. Golden age of clammy crutches. Uh, it come, we come to another famous quote, actually, Sam. I don't think you. This is an interesting, an interesting bit of knowledge. The phrase "mensana incorpore sano." I probably haven't pronounced that correctly again because although I learnt Latin to an A-level standard at university, I soon forgot it. "Mensana incorpore sano." Which is a healthy mind in a healthy body, or a sound mind in a sound body. So that's a that's a juvenile quote. Marvelous. And what is um, clammy crotch in Latin? Oh shit, me Sam. That could be something we can put out to listeners, Sam. Any historians with any kind of qualification listening? Firstly, my profuse apologies. <laughs> and secondly, uh, if you if you could consult your English Latin dictionary and uh, translate clammy crotch back into latin be very much appreciated the conclusion to this satire number 10 is basically juvenile saying whatever will be will be pray for a tranquil life and be good be a good person if you're a good person you'll have a tranquil life that's basically what juvenile uh, decides at the end be a poor ugly stupid 30 year old <laughs> so there you go there's there's juvenile satire number 10 do you know what that is definitely my favorite that is definitely my favorite of juvenile satires <laughs> wait a second sam you said at the start you'd never read juvenile satires no but it can't it can't get better than this so i was selective with which one i chose but there are some other funny ones but it, there's stuff about eunuchs there's stuff against homosexual promiscuity basically all the things the romans really liked Yes, <laughs> yes, I suppose so. Because the Romans, the Romans, very much into their homosexuality, very much into public speaking, very much into wealth, very much into older older ladies and affairs, very much into eunuchs, very much into being assaulted sexually by Nero. All of the good stuff. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Plotting, very much into plotting in political circles. They loved a good plot. Absolutely. There's a theme that runs through juvenile satires, and I, from what I understand, this is a very common... He was a grumpy bellend. He <laughs> was a grumpy, was a grumpy <laughs> git. And as far as I'm aware, this is quite common with a lot of Roman writers in the early empire, which is... 
a belief that the Romans of the Republic era, you know, time of the, the Samnite Wars and the Punic Wars, etc., were a, a purer folk. You know, they were they were a better people. They were they didn't have the oh, same. But everyone, this is everyone in history thinks this. Like exactly. everyone thinks this. Even today, you want to go back to some kind of supposed golden age. It wasn't golden. It was shite. You've just got rose tinted vision. Absolutely, Sam. You know what? I was going to go. I I wanted to say the same thing. I'm glad we. Agree oh, well, on you this. say it too. You add. Oh, you add. You have your. Vent. You know what I like, Sam? I like people who look at pictures of their, for example, their grandparents back in the 1950s and 60s, and they look at it and they go, "Oh, a better time, a purer time." No, it fucking wasn't. It wasn't at all. In the, in the US, black people were still second class citizens. You know, women couldn't vote. Homosexuality was still illegal in the UK until the mid sixties, wasn't it? There was still. Ugh, don't get me started on these roads tinted <laughs> glasses that people wear. Oh, the nineteen forties. The nineteen forties were a lovely time, weren't they? Nineteen forties, back when people had respect for their elders. Oh yeah, love not being able to go out at night because of the bombings and then getting polio. That was cracking. I like that. And people, people look back on how, for example, young men behaved. You know, back in let's go Second World War. They assumed young men during the Second World War marched off dutifully to the Second World War and behaved themselves wonderfully throughout and just fought for old blighty. Did they fuck? Fuck off, did they? My granddad used to say that when the first thing that the British soldiers did when they got to Cairo is went to the fucking whorehouses. Ah, <laughs> oh, tell us another story, granddad. <laughs> tell us a story about the war. <laughs> he talked about how he, saw, how he saw a load of Anzacs, so that's Australian New Zealand soldiers, having a massive brawl on a train station platform in Cairo. It's all... Bollocks. <laughs> That's next week's topic on That Was Genius. <laughs> Juveniles had an effect on me, Sam. I'm feeling more miserable. <laughs> Talking of which, what is going to be next week's topic? I've, can I hand make a suggestion here? You can absolutely make a suggestion, yes. Because when I was researching topics for this week for stupidity, I looked into con artists. Ooh. I think con artists could be a good topic. Oh, that's brilliant. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that. Hello. Oh, it's lovely. That's a lovely cider. That is a lovely cider. Mm. There's nothing more to say about that, is there? <laughs> Apart from possibly reiterating clammy crotches. Is that going to be the name of this episode? Oh, I really wish it could be. <laughs> I think that might get flagged <laughs> as inappropriate on various podcasting platforms. <laughs> 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 the flannel washbottom is fine. <laughs> I do hope you have enjoyed this podcast. If you have, please do let us know. Follow us on all of your favourite social media platforms. We're on Facebook. If you search for That Was Genius, uh, we are on Instagram. That Was Genius, all one word, no spaces. And on Twitter, that underscore was underscore genius. Three different platforms. Why not have three very slightly different usernames? You can <laughs> you can also send us an email. If you have any fun historical facts, we'd love to share them. We won't bother fact-checking them uh, because we're lazy and have very little time on our hands. Uh, so basically, we'll spout <laughs> any old shit that you send us. The email address is oh thatwasgeniuscast at gmail.com. And uh, that is pretty much it from this week. I personally think this has been the best one yet, without a shadow of a doubt. It's had drama, it's had intrigue, it's had profuse swearing, and uh, that is exactly what you want, isn't it, on a Thursday morning? Yes, I think it is. Absolutely. That's what I would listen to on the commute to work. Yep, absolutely. Keep your headphones in is probably something I should have warned at the beginning. Uh, Too late now, though, isn't it? (laughs)
<laughs> and on that note, we'll see you next week. See you later. <laughs> oh, I'm in a very silly mood now.